Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Bleed in the Garden State podcast, presented by Bet Online. What is going on, friends, family, people we know, people we don't know, people we like to get to know? How you doing? All are welcome at the Believe in the Garden State podcast. I am your co-host, Alex Schoen. Super excited about today's episode. Pete Medhurst, one of the great voices of the Big Ten Network, joined me. And we discussed a lot of awesome topics. The Big Ten Network just dropped their TV schedule. So we talked about that, the Big Ten versus the ACC. We also talked about the state of college lacrosse, the state of Rutgers, the state of the Big Ten, and a lot of other interesting topics. Pete was awesome, great guy, uh, was very generous with his time, a lot of great advice too. Uh, in terms of broadcasting and things like that. Um, so, listen, let's get to the magic. So you can catch this guy on the afternoon drive on 106.7 The Fan in the D.C. area. He's one of the great voices of Big Ten lacrosse, the voice of Navy Athletics, ladies and gentlemen, Pete Medhurst. Alongside Mark Dixon. Live from Maryland Stadium in College Park, Maryland. Today, it's number three, Maryland, taking on number four, Rutgers. Rutgers top all-round shiny scores. David Strzok, the children of Dallas. The Eastern item of Seattle, New Jersey, is High Point Solution Stadium. Plays host to Rutgers, Scarlet Knights, and Fairfield Terrific. George. Comes back to his right shoulder, Davis Allen stays with him. George comes inside. Pete, how you doing? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Glad to do it, Alex. How you doing? I'm good. You know, you know, during my prep uh, for this interview, I didn't realize how many sports you did: football, basketball, lacrosse, racing. Uh, that's super awesome. How, how do you balance that all? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I basically look at the schedule uh, that I get and try to put as much prep time on all the different events. Uh, that I have very blessed, uh, especially at Navy. We have 33 varsity sports. I have an unbelievable sports information staff there that treats all their sports, uh, you know, just as important as, you know, football and basketball is to a lot of schools. Uh, every sport at Navy uh, is incredibly important uh, to that sports information staff and their assistance and preparation uh, for all of that stuff. We do, you know, water polo, baseball, wrestling, We've done track and field uh, before. We do volleyball, obviously, along with uh, men's and women's basketball, men's and women's lacrosse, football. Uh, we do an awful lot of sports at Navy. We're blessed uh, from that standpoint. But without their help uh, in preparation, and I think the sports information people across the college landscape. And, uh, I mean, look, broadcasting college sports is, is, is my passion. It's my life. It's what, it's what I, you know, have lived for from the time I was doing Division Three at Salisbury you know, back in the late eighties and early nineties. And I think our sports information people, there are the lifeblood of all of these broadcasts that you see now. I mean, with the ESPN pluses, the big 10 plus Fox sports plus, I mean, it's opened up so many avenues to so many broadcasts now that were never happening before outside of maybe the team's local radio broadcast. It's required a lot more work of those sports information people. And they've answered the call. Uh, without question, 
And uh, I think that is one of the reasons why we're able to do so much now because we get so much great assistance and cooperation from those folks and many of the coaches um, along the way, because without their cooperation, you don't really have many stories to tell about a lot of the great athletes and programs that we're, we're able to cover. Absolutely. It takes a village. Um, do you, um, do you know, uh, Rob Camposa, by the way, he's in the Navy uh, department. Yes. Yes. He's been uh, working with our lacrosse program now, uh, for the last uh, several seasons and has uh, certainly made a, a great difference there. And, you know, people like Rob and, and many others in lacrosse, because we have some sports at the college level that still don't get the same respect uh, overall from a financial standpoint and some of the rules within the college game. I mean, guys like Rob who start out as volunteers in your program. I mean, that work that they do is incredible uh, because, you know, I mean, one of my sons is in college coaching in basketball and he started out as a volunteer. And I can tell you when those guys are volunteering, especially when they're a little bit younger. Um, mom and dad are paying some of that freight at that point. So they're really doing uh, a yeoman service. And there's guys like Rob's all over college lacrosse in particular uh, because our staffs are just not allowed to be that big right now uh, in the sport. And there are tremendous men and women throughout men's and women's college lacrosse right now that are uh, contributing on a volunteer basis. And those people are invaluable to the success of a lot of programs out there right now. Absolutely. Rob was with us uh, at Rutgers for um, my redshirt freshman and sophomore year. He did a tremendous job. So I certainly know uh, the struggle of being a volunteer assistant. It, does, it doesn't really matter if you're at um, a school that's, I guess, in the limelight of college lacrosse, like a top five team or a team that is trying to find its way. Uh, volunteers, volunteer, you're all putting in the same work. And uh, it's it's a lot of work. I remember most of my days were doing laundry. Yeah. I mean, it's again, I think it's because of, you know, I, I think there are a lot of programs that would put the resources in if the rules allowed them to have more uh, people on a paid basis. It's just how hold those staffs um, and those schools back. I guess, you know, the argument, I guess, on the college level would be to keep the playing field level but you know if schools want to continue to in my mind if schools want to put the resources into developing their programs developing their student athletes I think schools should be allowed to do that and you know it, it, even if it means putting a limit on a stipend for a quote volunteer or a part-time assistant coach if you want to do that but I, I think we need to I really think we need to compensate these people in some way shape or form for the amount of work, because they're really doing full-time jobs under a volunteer title. Absolutely. And I feel like we could talk about this for, for forever because it's such an interesting subject and one that affects our sport in terms of the overall development of the younger student athletes and the younger coaches, the future of the game. Because a lot of those guys start out as volunteers and they, they go through the struggle and sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. You know, the Big Ten schedule, I mean, huge fan of you, and Joe Beninati, Mark Dixon, you guys are the voices of the Big Ten, some of the best in the business in sports overall. Um, the schedule just came out for men's and women's. I guess what's your initial uh, thoughts on the schedule? A lot of lot of great matchups in Big Ten play, but also, uh, you know, out of conference, big time Big Ten ACC matchups. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. I mean, you look at, you know, the Maryland schedule, the Virginia schedule, the Duke schedule. North Carolina schedule. And then you go look at the big 10 teams. They're all challenging each other. Um, you know, 
Maryland crossing over to play, you know, Virginia uh, and vice versa. I mean, they don't have to take those games if they don't want to. They can find somebody else to play. But let's face it, the college lacrosse world is going to show up at Audi Field, I think, very well for that contest between Maryland and Virginia uh, coming up on March the 19th. Very jealous that the Caps aren't playing that night, so Joe Beninati gets that assignment. But, I mean, what a game that's going to be. And we know at some point those two obviously are major title contenders. But just the fact that John Tillman and, and, you know, Lars Tiffany are willing to schedule that game because I think the the sport and the audience, as much as the players themselves, the players live for these kind of games. They want to play these uh, types of games. And certainly I think in terms of promoting the game, to be able to do it, to being willing to do it at Audi Field, put it on a neutral field where we can probably get a little bit bigger crowd, um, I can't wait. I think it's going to be a great game uh, for the audience. But again, it's about teams in the Big Ten and the ACC trying to challenge themselves because the Ivies are back now in, in full effect. So where you may have had some leeway before, you know, last year because we didn't have, um, you know, the, we, we didn't have the full complement of teams competing. Now that we do, Criteria is going to mean something. It's going to mean it's going to mean something again. And when you have a strong schedule, um, again, we know what that means when the discussion comes down to a couple of teams. Did you play a couple of heavyweights and try to challenge yourself, or you know, did you play some teams that aren't quite as strong? And we all know that more often than not, when the committee weighs that criteria, those who try to challenge themselves. Um, if if win totals and results are comparable, uh, the team that tries to challenge itself uh, is likely to, uh, you know, get the nod. And, you know, kudos to these teams for putting these games on display, because I know as fans, we love them. They're willing to take them now onto weeknights. When you go down and look at that schedule, uh, I think Duke, Duke's got a Thursday night game uh, because we're now willing to showcase these games on a TV moment all by themselves. Big Ten on Sunday nights. I mean, obviously up at Rutgers. Rutgers got a ton of Sunday night games. Oh, it's great. It was you awesome. know, I've got the Hopkins-Rutgers game coming up on April the 3rd. Looking forward to that. So, and I think I in, in the, the years I've been doing lacrosse on the Big Ten Network now, I think I've had Rutgers more than anybody, and especially since they started to go to the Sunday night package. But I think what they have found between the TV network, but more importantly, the teams, they're like, hey, we're capitalizing in this Sunday night window at seven o'clock. We're a standalone game and the world is watching us, you know, from a lacrosse perspective. So I think the, the big 10 schools have embraced this Sunday night availability. I know Mark and I have found tremendous response within the lacrosse community uh, while broadcasting those games. So we know people are watching and I think it's a great job by the big 10 uh, to work with the network the schools uh, to pull this off on Sunday nights, because I think it's been a real positive uh, for the league. Oh, it's tremendous. I'll tell you from a player's perspective, that Sunday night game is awesome. It's like, that's like, it's like the equivalent of Sunday night football on NBC, like in lacrosse, like everyone's watching, like. Let's face it right now in the spring, uh, as long as baseball wants to sit on sidelines, you know, there's not a lot of competition out there right now. There is no Sunday night baseball game. Uh, to compete uh, with lacrosse here uh, as we head into uh, March and early April. So that's even more potential 
casual eyeballs that you may get on the sport when someone's channel surfing um, that we may not have gotten in the past. And I think, you know, we all know the diehards are always going to tune in to lacrosse on Saturdays, Sundays, even if it's a weeknight game, like I talked about, uh, you know, the ACC playing on, on Thursday night at one point. We always will get the diehards. But I think it's bringing more casual fans in to view this exciting sport and to see, uh, you know, the entertainment payoff I think that it brings. Maybe eventually we get those people to not only tune in, but then show up at our stadiums to watch these athletes in person. Because just like I tell people in hockey, you can watch hockey on TV. You know, you can watch Joe Beninati and Craig Lachlan do Capitals games on TV and be incredibly entertained watching on TV. But I think lacrosse and I think hockey in the same vein, to see them in person, to see how plays develop, to see transition plays developing from one end uh, to the other when a long pole is, this big athletic long pole is striding down the field. All of a sudden that guy cranks up this long pole and just unleashes uh, on a goalie from about 15 yards. You know, there's so much excitement in our game. And I think these exclusive windows that we're finding um, in the spring TV schedule uh, are, are now showing people just that. And I, I hope we can attract, continue to attract some casual sports fans, people that like sports. You know, they flip the channel. They see it. Hey, I'm going to stick around because when I mean, you look at these Maryland Rutgers games, uh, I've been blessed to do a couple of these that go into overtime or right down to the wire. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, there's nothing like sports that come down to the final minute with a team trying to score the game-winning goal or the goalie that makes the great save uh, late in a contest. So I'm hoping we can start to attract some more casual sports fans uh, to come watch what, uh, I, I mean, I feel is an incredible sport. I played baseball in high school. I knew nothing about lacrosse other than the, the object of it when, when I left high school. But covering it as a high school sports stringer uh, in my area, in Anne Arundel County in Maryland, which is a tremendous hotbed. It's one of the you know, best places for uh, high school lacrosse uh, in the country. I got to know it at that level, and I, I'm glad I opened my mind to it back then because it's allowed me to be able to broadcast it now uh, for 24 years. And uh, in fact, longer than that, because I go back to when I was doing Salisbury's games. That was the first game I broadcast at Salisbury and Hobart in one of the greatest Division Three uh, games. In fact, of all the games I've broadcast, it's in the top five, maybe only eclipsed by the 2004 National Championship game when Navy played Syracuse. Hobart wins 13-12 in a driving, pouring rain mud bog in Salisbury at uh, Seagull Stadium that day. Uh, when Dave Yurick was in the midst of winning, I think it was 13 straight Division Three titles, and one of the guys on his team, and, and to this day, every time I have a Penn State game, we talk about it, Jeff Tambrody was on that Hobart team, uh, the coach of Penn State right now, uh, that, that played there. So we, we always reminisce about those days where Hobart just had an incredible run uh, of Division Three success, and at that time, we're also beating Division One teams that they were playing on their schedule. Mark Van Arsdale, uh, did he play? He played there as well, uh, offensive yep. coordinator for Loyola. I don't know if he played with Jeff Tambroni, but I know he did play there, right? I can look the roster. You might be right, though. I mean, you, you might be right because it was all right around uh, the the same time. But I mean, at that time, you know, the the Salisbury program was really just taking off under Jim Berkman. Um, and tremendous coach, tremendous coach. To see what he has built that program into today, um, 
I mean, it, it's just to, to be able to see what Jim has done and he has stayed there. I mean, I'm sure there were opportunities for that. He could have left Salisbury uh, somewhere along the way, but he has stayed there the entire time. And he has just developed an unbelievable program there on the division three level. They're competing against division one schools for recruits too. Like it's, <laughs> they're very impressive. Well, I mean, I think again, I think if you're a good player, I think there's a route into the PLL for you, even if you're a division three player and you're really good, I think there's a route into that. And I think there's a route into, uh, you know, MLL uh, as well. If you want to continue to play lacrosse afterwards, otherwise think about it. We're, we're trying to achieve degrees. We've got um, a number of unbelievable schools academically that play this sport. So you, you find your fit, find your fit where you're going to play Find your fit where you're going you're gonna to be able to do your work academically because we're still the object in lacrosse. It, we're still trying to get degrees from unbelievable schools that play. And I think that's the, the one thing about this sport. We've got some unbelievable schools academically that play this thing. And if you can use lacrosse as that vehicle to get to one of these uh, you know, spectacular places that as soon as somebody in a business world sees that school on your resume – you're going to, your resume is at least going to get near the top of that list. And you're going to get an interview because we've got so many unbelievable institutions at play uh, this sport. Ultimately, you got to find the fit athletically and academically. And, you know, if, if it means choosing D3 over D1 or D2 over D1 right now, because you may play sooner and enjoy yourself more, you know, why not? That's a good point. It's, I think with our sport, and I do think because there hasn't, I mean, when, when did pro lacrosse start? Like early 2000s? Um, In earnest, yeah. I think because there wasn't really a, much of a, like an NFL, an NHL, like a big time, like it couldn't be your number one financial like job. I, I agree with you. I think like a big emphasis was on the school and the maybe less on the sport. Whereas yeah. in, fo in football, you'll see guys go to a power five school, even though it might not be the greatest fit for them, but it's a power five school. They're going to go to the NFL and potentially make generational type money. I mean, and keep in mind, the indoor game has been around forever. I mean, we had, we had an indoor team playing in Washington here, you know, like in the eighties, I think it was the Washington Warthogs uh, were an indoor team. So, I mean, the indoor game has been, I mean, the box game has been around for a long time, but we, you know, getting a, organized, financially stable, professional league on the outside um, just has taken a lot longer. And, you know, hopefully now what we're seeing with the PLL and the entertainment that it's bringing, hopefully that will be able to continue, um, you know, for a long time. So it gives guys that want to continue to play lacrosse after they graduate uh, and after their eligibility is exhausted, a, a chance to go play the game still at a high level uh, where we entertain the masses because we know people, uh, again, strong core audience in this sport uh, right now. And I think the concept, you know, that, that Paul and Michael and, and the folks at PLL have come up with, I think is really good. And I think it has a chance uh, for long-term growth uh, and, and success. And the, what we're doing with the indoor game continuously uh, right now, exciting mega exciting product so we've got so many avenues right now for this game to continue to grow for players beyond uh what they're doing at the college level and that's really all you can ask for 
at this point. And I think both products, both indoor and outdoor, are incredibly exciting. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of both indoor and outdoor. I watch I watch almost every PLL game. I watch as many indoor games as I can because there's so many of them. It's hard to keep track. Now that they're on ESPN Plus, it's like, damn, which one do I watch? No doubt. No doubt. But that, I mean, again, what and, and some of the th- and, and two completely distinctly different games. But what we're seeing from a athletic standpoint from all these athletes, both indoor and outdoor, just continues to show you the amazing skill uh, that, that they have. And, and it's still an opportunity to put this uh, on display. Absolutely. And um, I guess shifting gears a little bit to uh, the Big Ten um, in terms of the state of the Big Ten, um, I guess what have, what has been your initial impressions of the conference so far this year? I mean, uh, five out of the six teams, I believe, are ranked in the top 20. I think the people that are playing, um, I think they all have prioritized the sport to a certain extent. I think all the programs care about the product that they're putting out there. They're putting resources uh, into the product right now. And, and that's all you can ask for because, you know, look, I mean, still in, in, in parts of the country for a Michigan to start up, uh, you know, lacrosse and, and uh, join in with some look. I mean, let's face it, the other groups are powerhouses, but they took that challenge on and, and they want to be a part of it. They continue to put resources into it now and continue to grow uh, yearly uh, as a product at a, at a non-traditional place like that. Uh, the, the rest of the league, I mean, look, I mean, it doesn't matter what Saturday or Sunday you're playing if you don't bring your A game. You know, we even saw as much as Hopkins struggled, you know, with a new coach last year. By the end of the season, they were playing good lacrosse. You saw that, uh, obviously, uh, in the tournament. So, you know, they're coming back to that level uh, eventually that we uh, in the in the sport expect from them. So when you have a league that no matter what day you're playing. Anybody can win. That's all you can ask for from a parity standpoint is is Maryland. Is Maryland maybe slightly ahead right now? I mean, you could say that. Certainly their results uh, bear that out. But that doesn't mean that a Rutgers, a Penn State, an Ohio State, you know, a Michigan, a Hopkins can't jump up at any point if Maryland doesn't bring its A product and win the game. And that's, that's all you look for when you're looking for a depth of a conference. And we all know – uh, right now that the ACC plays this, you know, incredible entertaining style. I mean, Virginia, Duke, Carolina, Syracuse, they're putting up goals, you know, uh, at a, a lightning rate in a lot of games. But from you know, the Big Ten has said, okay, we, we see you and we see the committee, you know, and everybody. I mean, look, ESPN has the contract with the ACC and Anish and Quint and Paul and all them talking about how great uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference is, but let's not shortchange the Big Ten either. Those programs are answering the call and trying to get back uh, to that same level uh, as the depth of a conference. And that's why I think uh, we're, we're in for an incredible year uh, overall in this sport. When you look at the Big Ten, you look at the ACC, you look at a pen uh, come, despite getting, you know, giving up 51 shots, uh, beating a Duke in overtime, uh, 14-13. So uh, with the Ivies back in this thing, uh, I think we've got, uh, again, another incredible year. The Patriot League has started. Uh, you know, I think the Patriot League's got good depth. They've had a couple of tough results in close games. Rutgers beat Army. 
uh, in a great game. Loyola's off to a, a bit of a slow start as well. Um, Navy, I think you're going to see them uh, really – I think Navy is going to change in the next couple of weeks, uh, and you're going to see them uh, start to take a, a significant step forward uh, as well uh, with their program as they've got uh, Patriot League play, starting with Lehigh, another great team for Kevin Cassis uh, coming up this week. So I think the depth of the sport is great. It puts, you know, an onus on your results each and every week. But I think the Big Ten, I mean, top to bottom, every week, Alex, we're going to have great games and they're going to be competitive games. And if you don't bring your A product, you can lose. I think so, too. And I've always been a fan of the Big Ten conference. Oh, excuse me. I've always thought the Big Ten just playing in it. And it's a little biased opinion was right there with the ACC. Um Obviously, um, ACC, ESPN, they do a fantastic job. I love watching their games. Great conference. Um, but I've always felt like the Big Ten was a little slighted on Selection Sunday, you know, being a Rutgers guy, always being on the bubble, and seeing the ACC has no automatic qualifier, which I think they got to do something about that. They got to get one of these really good teams to be an affiliate member or something like that, um, if they can, because I think that would be great for the sport because what it would also do is, correct me if I'm wrong, it would also make their – another play-in game again, and one of those other guys um, can get in to the tournament, one of the smaller schools, mid-majors, um, like it I, used to be. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, look, it's – conference membership in every sport right now is an incredibly difficult um, – so the, the, the description I'm looking for, it's an incredibly difficult – table for administrations right now to figure out what's the best fit for us uh how do we take care of our olympic sports in, in a lot of respects because i think you can't discount the effect that what your olympic sports will have to endure in conference membership but you know there's to me there's no reason why you know if, if you're the acc reach out to somebody get with your coaches say hey you know who are some programs you think um you know, might be willing to come over here, but also come with the quality that we expect in the ACC. Because I don't think the ACC wants an associate member just to have an associate member. I, I think they want uh, you know, they want somebody to come that's going to bring some cachet uh, eventually to the league. Because to, to just to bring somebody for scheduling purposes and to have another team, that doesn't do anything for you. Bringing somebody that's going to commit resources to the program and want to play competitive lacrosse at that level, those are the teams you need to target and see if there's interest uh, in that uh, moving uh, in that direction. Yeah. It's gotta be like a, like a Hopkins in the big 10. Like I, um, from what I've read and, and people I've talked to Hopkins presence in the medical community and how good of a research institution it is really, really matched well with the big 10 research, uh, research institutions. And Hop obviously Hopkins is story tradition. They bring a lot to the conference. Uh, and then when you combine that with Maryland, that brings a ton of the conference as well with having that in-state rivalry in the conference. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be awesome. Now, from a player's perspective, uh, there's a little bias when I say they should add one because I, I would, would have loved for them to have an AQ for them to be an extra spot when I played. Because <laughs> it's like on Selection Sunday, it's like, okay, there's nine spots. All right, like regardless of if you agree or disagree, uh, all the ACCs are getting in. So it's a bunch of us are competing for four spots. So like, do you think there is a little bit of bias come selection Sunday when it comes to that process? You know, I don't know if I'd call it bias. I, I think that's a strong word, but I think 
there's perception out there. And we see this all the time in college sports. We perceive the SEC top to bottom to be the best in football. We, we certainly put the Big Ten East in football, uh, you know, where Rutgers is a member. Uh, they know how tough that division is. I mean, the, the Big Ten East and the SEC West are by far the two toughest divisions in college football. So there's this perception that overall, because you have strength there, that their entire league is better than everybody in the Big 12, everybody in the ACC, everybody in the Pac-12. And I think what we've done here, because the ACC has created an incredibly entertaining style of lacrosse, and we're seeing great games every night. The and, and they're the OGs. Like they're the they're they've been, they're the most storied programs. Like they've right. been around the longest. That's exactly right. But because they're playing such a, an entertaining style of lacrosse, and and it's played at a really good quality, particularly offensively, you create the perception that your product is better than everybody else's. And from a, I mean, think about it. that's what marketing is all about. And that's what the marketing geniuses between the ACC and their TV partner ESPN is they've created this perception out there that their product is the best in the game right now, and it's it's pending on everybody else to prove that they aren't. And that's why it's great to see regular season matchups where a Maryland and Virginia cross over during the course of the regular season. Because the only way to get your league on that level is to go play them in the regular season and prove that you can win those games against those teams and that your product is on that level. So I think that is what helps create some of these regular season matchups now where I think the Big Ten, the Ivies realize if we're going to put doubt in the committee's mind, if we're going to change that perception that their product is the best, we've got to go play them. And more importantly, we've got to go beat them like Penn did against Duke. It's a gigantic win for the Quakers to be able to go win that game uh, against the Blue Devils the way they did. I think Ohio State showing against Notre Dame uh, and Maryland showing against Virginia is going to be huge for the league as a whole. And it's it's cool. And listen, like they're all quality teams, all 11 ACC Big Ten, Big Ten and Ivies too. And I think lacrosse is a sport where it's not like football, where everything is in the power five in comparison to everyone else. I think when you look at lacrosse, it's a sport where it's just, you can get really good players in any, from anywhere. Division three guys coming to the D one level, mid-major guys going up to ACC, big 10, Ivy, I'm not Ivy, uh, Patriot league teams uh, going to different types of play uh, places and having success. I mean, you look at a goalie like Adler at Duke, who was at St. Joe's, which is a mid-major school. He's coming up. He's one of the best goalies in the country. You look at Colin Kirst at Rutgers. He goes from, uh, Lehigh, who's a very good team in the Patriot League, uh, but he doesn't start a game in his career at Lehigh. And then he comes and he is arguably the best goalie in the country. So I think lacrosse is just an interesting sport opposed to like a football or a basketball where you don't see as much mid-major success. Well, I think also, too, you, you look at the top skilled guys in D3, a lot of them can contribute on D1 rosters. I mean, I don't think – and they, and they do. And they and do. They, you know, and look, that's that's part of the game that we're playing now, where it's so easy to transfer at all levels. Um, as you mentioned, with you know, Curse coming over from Lehigh and uh, having the year that, that he did. But I mean, that's the that's the part of the game right now as well. That is such a challenge to coaches, because 
unlike in the NFL, you know, in the NFL, you know, we're, we're signing Adam Charlombides to like a seven year deal. And, and we know he's going to be there uh, for seven seasons, but now you get a player that's of really good quality. You have to re-recruit that guy every year. You basically have to say, Hey, you're going to, you're going to stay with us for next year. Right. I mean, because of the, the, the portal and what it does now, um, not only are you looking at obviously potential high school products out there, you're also looking at other areas and Hey, is there a, a good D three guy that's jumped in the portal that might seek a, a chance to play at the division one level before uh, they graduate or something like that. So it's really changed the game uh, in all facets of college athletics, especially now uh, where almost every sport I believe has at least the one time uh, transfer without a penalty. You can play uh, right away. It's really changed the game uh, in college athletics, but it's also, it, it makes it, it's, it makes you not only do you have to have a team that is successful, but it really behooves you to have a great culture and a product that kids want to be in because if they're not comfortable with your product, they know they can go find uh, another customer for their services uh, pretty easily right now uh, in the transfer portal. So that's why not only winning, but having a great culture to be around, obviously a terrific uh, academic uh, area for, for students to flourish as well. You really have to have all of those now because if a kid's not happy from a culture standpoint, might be a good player, might be playing, might even be getting good results. But if he's not happy from an either an academic fit or a culture fit, he can go find, um, you know, sunnier pastures uh, somewhere else pretty easily right now in all sports. I couldn't agree more. And, and as someone who transferred pre-transfer portal, it was very difficult. <laughs> I started out at Syracuse and uh, transferred over to Rutgers, but it was very difficult in terms of like you had to get a release and then you had to uh, basically like you were a high school kid again, send out emails, let people know, Hey, I'm available. Here's my release, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, you put your name and you put your name in a portal. And then like all the coaches get like all your information, like instantly you could be signed the next day. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I know what that's like. I mean, my, my, my younger son of two, both my sons play college basketball. One played on the D three and one played on the D one level and scored a thousand points, but he also transferred after two years, his school that he was at originally, uh, dropped his major. So he ended up transferring. We're sitting there, you know, we apply for a waiver and uh, you're sitting there playing the waiting game. And, you know, now it's very easy. You just put your name in a portal and, you know, it, it's like going shopping on Amazon for, for college coaches right now. Uh, they just pull up. I mean, literally a lot of schools have somebody that, that checks the portal every day, just, just randomly check the portal every day, see if, you know, who's in it. Um, and if you find somebody that, you know, there may be kids that you tried to recruit that went somewhere else, but they end up in the portal. So now, hey, here's another opportunity. We really felt we had a great relationship with this kid in the recruiting process. You know, he's in the portal now. Let's see if we can bring him in, you know, this time and see if maybe we can make him part uh, of our program. And I, I think you're seeing a lot of that out there uh, daily in college athletics now. It's really been a game changer. And that's why you never burn bridges in the recruiting process. You know, I used to tell kids all the time when I was coaching high school, uh, when I was coaching college, like you just never know what's going to happen to you. You never know what's going to happen to them. Like, let's say you're a high school junior and someone and you get recruited by XYZ school and XYZ school isn't exactly what you want for whatever reason. 
But a year later, that guy could be at the school that you're really interested in. And he's going to remember like how you treated him. Did you respond? Did you, were you respectful? And that's something I don't think kids really realize when they're and you in know high school. Who, you know who burns bridges faster? It's not kids. It's mom and dad. Mom and dad need to watch themselves in the recruiting process. Sometimes moms and dads, and I think a, a bigger thing is behavior at games. You know, parents' behavior at games is observed quite closely by college coaches. And I know college coaches in a lot of different sports that have seen parents act like complete fools at games. And that does affect at times the way they look at potential kids. If it's coming down to player A and player B, and they're similar in skill set, and player A's mom and dad real cool throughout the process, laid back, you know. Meanwhile, parents of player B, oh, Johnny's the greatest of all time. You know, the coach didn't really treat him fairly at the high school level and stuff like that. And then, you know, they're yelling at games, you know, you know, stuff on like, you know, either toward referees or the other team or something like that. I'm telling you, people watch that stuff. Coaches watch that stuff. And if it comes down to player A or player B and they're similar in talent, they're going to take the player that's probably got the, the nicer folks that aren't going to be a problem uh, because you know as well as I do, Alex, when, when player B doesn't get playing time in the first half of that freshman year, mom and dad are emailing, they're calling, they're, you know, they're, why isn't Johnny playing? Why isn't Jenny playing right now? And that's the last thing a coach wants to be dealing with at the college level is parents that are calling thinking it's just like playing, you know, youth lacrosse, we're cutting up orange slices and stuff like that. Just because you buy that uniform and travel across doesn't give you the right to have one when you get to college lacrosse. You have to earn that uniform uh, when you get to the college level. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen I've seen I've seen it happen. And it's it's like it's it's not fair to the kid, you know. Now I guess in terms of um there's two more before I let you go, there's two things I want to ask you. Um mm-hmm. Number one is I'm a Jersey guy. This is a Jersey podcast. I'm a Rutgers alum. Uh, you have broadcasted many of our Rutgers games. Um, one in particular was tougher than the rest. I'm sure you know which one I'm thinking of. Uh, would that be Maryland in overtime? Triple, and, uh, triple overtime. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. That, number, that four, number 40. Number 40 for Maryland. Connor Did Kelly. You? Yep. Yep. That was our game, Great. man. Still one of the best games I've ever done. Certainly best uh, regular season games. Fantastic game. Yeah, that game's that game's rough. But, um, yeah, just wanted to, I guess, ask about um, – um, I want to ask your thoughts about this Rutgers team in 2022. Uh, coming off a, a year where it was arguably the best team in school history, um, likely the best team in school history. They had cursed Mullen, Charlotte Beatties, and – Colin Kirsten goal, who is back this year. Um, a lot of guys kind of doubted them. D- didn't think they could reload. It looks, I saw them play live against Loyola last week and I think Loyola they're struggling, but it, it's a pretty solid Loyola team um, that just needs to find its way. Um, what's your thoughts on this Rutgers team? Do you think they can make some noise in conference play and maybe take it a step further come NCAA tournament time? If we're uh, fortunate enough to make it. 
obviously cursed, you know, helps uh, considerably. I mean, uh, let's face it in our sport, when you have a goalie now, that's a shot stopper. Some guys, some guys get hit by the ball and some guys are shot stoppers. Uh, you know, in this sport, some guys position themselves well, get hit by the ball, but then there are guys that really take it to another level uh, and are elite, you know, net minders. And in this league, you've got to be, you have to be one of those. You can't survive. Uh, it starts there, but also keep in mind, I mean, just because, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, when you, when you have an, an Adam Charlambides and some of the people, and first of all, I'm an unabashed Brian Breck fan. I'm a gigantic Brian Breck guy. Want to hear um, a fun but, fact about Brian Breck? Sure. He has, he's won a third of the total Big Ten Coach of the Year awards. Uh, completely understandable. And, and I believe a third of Big Ten coaches were once Brian Brecht assistants. <laughs> that's even, that's even better. Uh, yes. Dixie tied that in during some of the broadcasts. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm an unabashed Brian Brecht fan. I love our conversations with him. He's always very open with us. Uh, very direct, doesn't, you know, hide anything, doesn't, you know, talk in a lot of cliches, um, very open and honest with us about the, the, the product. And let's face it, um, when you recruit the type of players that he has over the last, you know, five or six years there to help build that program and help build this league, um, there's no question uh, that they're going to be a consistent contender. These wins against Army and Loyola are no joke. These are great wins. And I, they're going to have a couple more opportunities coming up. Uh, you know, Princeton's going to be a great challenge coming up here uh, as well for them. So, you know, even though they didn't, quote, get an ACC team on the schedule, they still got quality people. And when people look back at the end of the year and they consider the Rutgers resume, you know, those are going to be terrific out-of-conference opportunities that they're taking advantage of right now. And, you know, just because, I mean, look, let's face it. I mean, you're talking about some significant people, significant firepower that this team has had over the last couple of years that finally has cycled out. But what's the key to building a program when they cycle out having players that when it's their opportunity, um, you know, to, to step up like now, like, you know, Bartolo and Jacoby and Scott. And I mean, look at Ryan Gallagher. I think Ryan Gallagher's taken like one shot on the year, put one shot on frame, but he's making plays, you know, as a playmaker with eight assists so far. And it's while you may not necessarily have the elite individual one guy, you've got a bunch of guys right now that are stepping up and providing the same thing. They're just accomplishing it in a little bit of a different way right now. Uh, but that's a testament to Brian and his staff and the work uh, that they do, because how do you build a program? You can be a flash in the pan when you get a couple of good recruits and it all works out for you. But how do you stay relevant in this sport right now? You build a program, and when good players cycle out, good players cycle in and continue to do things for you. Uh, you know, DeGenio's, I think it's 60%, 61% in, in he's face. He's doing great. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we, hey, you have to have the ball to score. So if you got a guy going at a 60 or 61% clip in this game right now, that's a huge, huge check mark uh, for your team. Uh, you know, to getting the ball. So uh, I, I don't think there's any question they're going to have a chance to compete. The question is, you know, like all teams in the Big Ten, you know, do you bring your A product every single Saturday or Sunday uh, right now in this league? If you do, you're going to give yourself 
a, a great chance to win. But I think Brian's done that by building a program. Yes, they've had great individual players within it, but it's building a program. It's building that culture. It's retaining those players. And, and I, I think that that speaks volumes when guys like that are willing to stay with your program for four and five years, you know, given the extra year and stuff like that. That tells you everything you need to know about the quality of the program. Not only is it a great place to play on game day, but it's a great place to be every day. And I think that's what coaches in this sport want to build. Uh, and every sport, that's what you want to build. You want to you build a program that kids want to be there every day. They can't wait to get to the locker room, grab their equipment, and get out there and, and practice and be part of a great culture and a great program. And we see the finished products you know, under the lights and on a Saturday afternoon and stuff like that. But what really builds a great team is guys being willing to run to that locker room when they're out of class every day, grab that equipment and get out to the field and, and be with their brothers or sisters, you know, in the respective sides and, and get to work and get ready for that next opportunity, uh, you know, under the lights for a Saturday afternoon that presents itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, well, first of all, you mentioned Ryan Gallagher. Um, the, the Loyola game was not broadcasted because it started later. Uh, I was at the game. So I have to tell you, he came around GLE and absolutely stung the corner and got absolutely nailed. And then he gets up and he just goes crazy. And Ryan's not a big guy. He's like 5'5". Five, five. Right, right. And he gets up, he gets him going. His leadership has been great for them this year. And and then seeing seeing it in person for the first time was awesome. He's playing great. He's going to be a big part of their midfield, big part of their depth and why they're able to, um, I don't want to say replace David Sprock because you don't replace an athlete like that. He's right. he's a, he's a one-of-a-kind workhorse. Um, but their depth has really shown with the loss of Sprock and putting Jacoby from attack to midfield with Brian Cameron coming in. I think that that balances their offense a little bit. And um, I've seen Ross Scott in person a lot over the years. Um, seeing him against Loyola in the, la in the fourth quarter yesterday – or excuse me, last week, he was – Ungarbled. He's like he's he wears number five. He's got a little Michael Sowers in him. Michael yeah. Sow Michael Sowers 5.0. <laughs> hey. So he's got a little Michael Sowers in him. If he's remotely close on a week by week basis to Michael Sowers, they're going to be in great shape uh, as this season goes along. Believe me. Yeah, and then the last thing you mentioned, Dehenio. Um, so John's do John is tremendous athlete. Um, he's facing off really well. I think he's above 60% this year. Last year, he was around 40%, but he had 10 points. And because of his stick skills and his ability to move the ball, they got a lot of offense um, in situations where John, let's say John won eight faceoffs and lost 12 faceoffs. But well, they scored two or three goals off two of those eight faceoff wins and take whatever their offensive efficiency was because they scored those two goals. That's like getting a couple extra wins. So I think last year, John really made the most out of his, his opportunities despite low numbers. But this year he's taken his game to a whole nother level from getting possession and has, he's additionally super skilled. So. I mean, he, think about, think about this guys that uh, when you can win a face off cleanly and immediately put your team in a transition opportunity out of that. And you know, we get a lot of guys where they're great at face-offs, but we know their stick skills aren't great. So it's like, Hey, as soon as you win that face-off, you find somebody get them the ball and you get off the field. But 
when you get a guy that can create transition opportunities off face-off wins like that and is an absolute threat himself, either in a passing you know, situation or a shooting situation, it, it just it adds so much pressure to what you put on the defense of the other team. And that it's an it's a great element. Teams that can get it, it's like a, it's like almost like an extra offensive unit uh, in itself. It's almost like a special teams unit of its own when you have a faceoff guy, uh, not only that can win at that clip, but then can try and establish transition opportunities like that, where teams actually have to slide to the faceoff guy coming uh, below the restraining line with the ball, and all of a sudden you've facilitated offense. Uh, for your team. It's almost like another special team uh, within itself. Yeah. And he's another one of those transfers, not a grad transfer, but he, he came in from St. John's. He's a Bridgewater Raritan kid, which is a Rutgers hotbed for, for guys. Uh, Scott Bita, uh, big 10 offensive player of the year, Bridgewater guy, uh, Ryan Hollingsworth, uh, Bobby Russo. Um, and then if you go back years and years, you know, Aaron Cordilla, who's um Got a couple of really good sons actually coming into Rutgers who are top recruits in the country uh, in the classes of 22 and 23. So uh, Rutgers isn't going anywhere because I think recruits want to go there um, and uh, grad transfers probably over the next two years will probably want to continue to go there because of the culture and the opportunities the university provides them. So I think two plus Brian and his staff, they play a really, a really good style of lacrosse. I think that is you know, that kids want to be a part of. Um, If you've got some creativity, they let you do that. And that's, I think that's what kids, especially highly skilled kids are looking for. Am I going to have a coach that wants to micromanage my every move on the field, like a chessboard? Or when the opportunity presents itself, are they going to let me play? Are they going to let us play this out as a group? Trust us on the field. And I think that's something that, you know, in our conversations with Brian over the last couple of years, when you have the kind of people that they had, those players earned the trust of that staff. And thus, those guys were able to, you know, do a lot of things out there using their creativity because they knew how to play. They made the right decisions. They played off of each other. And that's part of that trust that builds up. And again, that's a culture thing. And I think, you know, if, if, if a kid goes, if a kid walks up to Adam Charlin Beatties and says, Hey, I'm being recruited by Rutgers. You know, what's it like to play for Brian Breck? You know, th- th- those kids are going to speak glowingly about the program and about the coach and about the culture uh, that's been established there. I don't think there's any question about that. Absolutely. And it's a tribute to those guys who are there who, who are keeping it going and, they do a tremendous job. So before I let you go, Pete, uh, number one, I want to thank you for the time. I mean, I mean, I think we we're only supposed to go for like 15, 20 minutes and here we are like 45, 50 minutes later. I mean, thank you so much. And um, I'm getting into um, this media world and um, but I guess what's it take to be uh, in sports broadcasting um, and what does it take to be in sports media? Uh, I think a, you know, I think there's a lot of want to by people. Um, biggest things I, I, I tell people, A, you got to be fun. You, you've got to be comfortable talking in front of people and talking to audiences. Um, you know, my speech teacher told me in 10th grade, you know, he goes, you're different. You know, 
uh, I got kids that I can barely get to come up here to the podium to do their speeches. He goes, you race up to the podium and you're almost willing to do their speeches for them if they can't do it. So I think you have to be comfortable talking to people and talking to an audience. But one thing I learned um, from Bob Sosi, the current voice of the New England Patriots, uh, who I backed up at Navy uh, for several years, was the, the preparation factor. And you've got to be prepared. That's why these conference calls that we do with all these coaches are so valuable to us because it gives us insight that, that we can then take to the broadcast that helps tell the story each and every week of these teams that we're doing. And I know for some of them, you know, they, they probably would like to do something else with their 20 to 30 minutes uh, that they spend with us. The Big Ten coaches have been fabulous, uh, every one of them. Uh, that, that I've dealt with uh, so far um, in, in any of the games we've broadcasted. And that's the, that's the key. They, they, help us, they help us tell the story of their programs. And I think all of the, the folks in the Big Ten realize that. And I think they respect us and the job that we do. And obviously we respect the job uh, that they're trying to do with their programs. And it's upon us to help tell their stories each and every week. So if there is a recruit watching the game, you know, to tell them about that program uh, during that broadcast, that's, that's very important. That's part of that preparation pro process because as long as you're prepared, just like as a player, as an official, just like anybody that does any job, if you're prepared to go to work every day, you're usually going to do decent work and people are going to ask you to come back. And, you know, been pretty blessed. I've been doing games at Navy's, you know, since 1998. In, in different capacities and, you know, obviously catching on with the Big Ten Network to do lacrosse is, you know, the number two there behind Beninati has been uh, just an incredible uh, honor for me. And, you know, you, you just hope that somebody sees your work and is willing to ask you uh, to do more. But, you know, just like you're doing with the podcast, I mean, people that there are so many. When I started, you basically had to go to a radio station and say, hey, you know, think I could do this for you you know do, do you have some airtime that we could do it you know now you know anybody can start a podcast in 10 minutes um, and start to build an audience and start to get reps you know we talk about just like in lacrosse we talk about getting reps we talk about all sports getting reps well doing a podcast talking about it and and having something that you can take to someone and say hey you know here's an example of my work we didn't really have those things outside of taking a tape recorder uh, with a cassette tape, going to games and practicing and giving somebody, uh, you know, in the 80s, late 80s and 90s when I started out uh, in this business. Now it's so much there's so many tools and resources available to uh, potential broadcasters that, you know, you, you start a you can start a podcast in 10 minutes and be off and running. Yeah, and uh, I'm doing my first game on April 2nd, Lehigh Lafayette, ESPN Plus. So, so I, uh, I'm a little nervous, but I'm going to prepare hard and, and, and hopefully make the most out of it. Just remember, especially, are you doing play-by-play -play or color? I'm doing both. I'm the only man in the booth. Okay. The key is who has the ball, what's their name, and who they're passing to. You know, keep it simple. You know, that that's the, the best thing. The, the, the best advice I can tell you is just keep it simple, uh, you know, during the course of the game, because the things that matter the most to the audience, who scored the goal, who made the save, 
you know, who had the assist, a player identification, um, you know, that's the most important part uh, of any broadcast. Just do the fundamental things correct. Uh, and then everything else, because of your knowledge of lacrosse, will take care of itself. So, you know, that's the big thing. Just make sure you got player identification uh, correct, because that's the most important thing. There's nothing like there's nothing worse than saying, hey, that's a goal for Johnny Smith, except it was Bobby Wallace who scored the goal. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Those are the moments we hate. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I, 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 and I've officiated basketball at the high school level for years. Last year, they changed a rule in college basketball where if a team turns it over in the backcourt to the other team, and it's a live ball turnover, shot clock resets to 30. But if they throw it out of bounds and the other team gets the ball, shot clock resets to 20. And I botched that rule late in the game. And I knew something was up because I kept questioning it, but I knew there's no chance they're going to put 20 on the clock if it's not the right rule. And it beat me up all afternoon. I drove four hours to watch my son coach a game that night. And the whole drive, I'm just like, gosh, I can't believe I did that. And, but that's, that's what, you know, if you have pride in what you do, you know, it's just like a player who has a bad game. If you have pride in what you do, you don't feel great about it after the game. Um, you know, if you can walk away from the broadcast going, yeah, you know, I, I think I did, I think I did well there. Cause I think sometimes we get lip service from people. Um, yeah. Oh, you guys were great. You guys were great. And sometimes I'll walk away and go, I, I didn't think I was great. Um, you appreciate the praise, but if you hold yourself to a high standard, that will, that will keep you trying to reach that standard, uh, each and every broadcast. So yeah, just just keep it fundamentally simple for yourself because your your knowledge of lacrosse will take care of everything else. Awesome, that's fantastic advice. And and the people I've talked to, um, including yourself, have been so generous with advice. So it's, it seems like a great community to uh, to be a part of. Yeah, I, I, the people that I've met in all parts of this industry, um, you know, are spectacular. I mean. You know, Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler, who I work with, you know, on the Nats broadcasts and everybody, like I said, you know, your sports information people uh, are going to be huge, you know, in your preparation. I know my guy, Justin LaFleur, Lehigh, he's eager to help you with anything that you need. I got I got Lehigh tomorrow, as a matter of fact, uh, against Navy. So um, lean on those people, you know, anything that you need from a, a notes or if you have questions about players and stuff like that. Lean on those folks because that's what they're there for, and I know they're all willing to help you. That's actually one of my matchups for – I'm doing face-off previews for uh, Inside Lacrosse. That's actually one of my matchups I'm writing about. I'm going to post that. I'm going to submit that uh, tonight. It's going to be a good game. Yeah. Uh, Patriot League opener for both, and, you know, it's one of those leagues right now. I think everybody is so close that, you know, like if you're Navy, any win you can get on the road in this league this year – uh, it's going to be, is going to be a gift. I mean, look, don't let Loyola's slow start, uh, you know, throw people off the trail. The Greyhounds are still going to be pretty good when it matters here. Charlie's too good of a coach. They got too many good players, uh, for them not to, they played a challenging schedule. They, you know, I mean, when you play a challenging schedule, sometimes you lose. Yeah. Um, they've still got Duke and Georgetown. <laughs> I mean, that's the risk of playing a challenging schedule. Sometimes. <laughs> lose because both teams are good so but they they're going to be they're going to be around and they're going to they're going to be there when it matters absolutely well pete um 
thank you so much uh, for coming on the show and um, looking forward to, to staying in touch, man. You're awesome. Like, Appreciate it, Alex. Do, glad to do it anytime. Welcome inside, everybody. Pete Benhurst alongside Mark Dixon. Live from Maryland Stadium in College Park, Maryland. Today, it's number three, Maryland, taking on number four, Rutgers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.